Well, last week we finished up with 1 John chapter 4, so today we will take a look at 1 John chapter 5. So you can open your Bibles up there. 1 John chapter 5, the fifth and final chapter of 1 John. Moving quickly toward the end of the Bible, going to be to Revelation in a few weeks. And now that you're at 1 John chapter 5, let's jump back into 1 John chapter 4. And then we'll read our way on into chapter 5. So 1 John chapter 4, let's start reading in verse 12. It says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Now, of course, we have much ado about love uh, as we've studied this book of 1 John here. We've talked about love a lot. Love is the key thing. The ingredients of utmost importance in our Christian walks. Without love, we are nothing. Without love, our Christian talk, our lingo, if you will, is nothing more than a bunch of noise, like the Apostle Paul called it sounding brass or clanging cymbal. If we just do all these other things that we do in the body of Christ and we talk a big talk, but there's no love then there's nothing there. If we give away all of our goods and we sacrifice our bodies to be burned, the Apostle Paul said, but we have not love, it profits us nothing. So John's saying here, we don't see God with our eyes today, but the way that God is made known and the way that we know that God abides in us is by love. Verse 13 there says that, he has given us of His Spirit. And His Spirit within us causes us to see and to testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world, as verse 14 says. Of course, when the disciples, right, 120 in total that were gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem on Pentecost, Right, The Holy Spirit came upon them. They, of course, were led at that time to do what? They were led to go out into the streets. They were led to go from there into all the world and to proclaim the love of God to all. And today, we are charged or chartered, if you will, to do the same things by the Spirit who indwells us. We are to love this lost and this dying world that is around us and we're to take the gospel to them. And as we studied last week, we are to love one another in the body of Christ by taking care of each other in the body of Christ with the physical and the financial needs of others in the body. And last week I entitled the study Woefully Pathetic because in many ways as I look at the body of Christ today, it's not that active body. It's an in-gathering body. It's a body that gathers for social events, for social reasons, 
uh, to have fun, to do this or that. Is anything wrong with all that? No, that's not the point. The point isn't that anything's wrong with those gatherings. The point is, is that the body of Christ needs to be known for something. We were talking this morning about, um, you, can, you can look at certain groups out there, like Habitat for Humanity, right? They're a group that g- gathers volunteers and puts people together to go out and build homes for the poor, right? Or you can look at charities, people like um, United Way, UNICEF, different various organizations out there that are active bodies. They, they put together volunteers and they do things, right? And they give money and they take care of people. Unfortunately, that was the role of the body of Christ from the very beginning. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They went out, they spread the gospel. But after they went out and spread the gospel, what did they do in the book of Acts? They put together a organization, if you will, that took care of the needs of the people. The, people, the widows were being fed. The widows, widows were being taken care of. Orphans were being taken care of. All of that was the role of the body of Christ. And I used the term last week, woefully pathetic, because the body of Christ doesn't do that today. It's gotten away from it. And it's become all about just social gatherings and such and different things that we do. Again, Again, as I talk about these things, do I say these things are bad? No, they're not bad. There's nothing wrong with gathering. But our gatherings, you know, we can look in the Corinthians and how Paul dealt with the Corinthians. Our gatherings should be about more than just food and games and fun, right? Our gatherings should be about worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, seeking the Lord. And today the body of Christ fails in this as well. We don't have those types of gatherings. We don't have prayer meetings where we just come and sit quietly before the Lord and seek the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and wait on Him and pray for the needs of one another. So the body of Christ, though, is to be a body that operates in love. And then last week we saw in verse 15 here of 1 John chapter 4 where it says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And I touched on this last week. But what what the scripture is pointing out to us here is that when we love, when we live in God's love by actively loving others, we can then be assured of a couple things. Well, we can be assured that God abides in us. And we can also be assured that on the judgment day, we'll have no reason to fear because God abides in us. And we operate in that love today in the way that we live, okay? Because God's love, which is perfect love, it casts out all fear. On the other hand, if we don't live in love toward others, as we see in the scriptures, if we are self-seeking and we're only looking out for our own good, we're only looking out for our own material good and physical needs and such, well, then we won't be so sure on Judgment Day because we haven't been living in accordance with the Word of God. 
And when we live out God's love on this earth, we know that, like it says there, as he is, so are we in this world. When we're living out love, then we're being like Christ in this world. Okay? And of course, we know that the idea of love, it didn't start with us. There's another kind of love that the world sings about in its songs and all of that kind of stuff. That kind of, that idea of love came from mankind. And that's the kind of mankind that, or excuse me, the kind of love that, that, that mankind has brought within the body of Christ as well. But that's not God's kind of love. God's love, of course, started with God. And verse 19 said, we love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So in other words, John is saying here that our actions are very important. The only way we know, the only way we know that we have God's love in us is when we're loving someone else. And if we're hating someone else and, and all of that, then we're not seeing God's love. We are a liar at that point. So the only way God's love is seen is in the way we live it out. And verse 21 says, And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Must, right? And if you remember, we saw a very practical example of what showing love is back in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, where it says that whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So that's just a very practical example. John's talking about all this love and what does it mean to love? Well, he, he gives us that example from 1 John three seventeen, that if you have the goods of this world and you help others, then that's what love is. Right? And you can study uh, for yourself that word good that's used in 1 John chapter 3, 17 and see, goods I mean, and see that it's a word that very definitely speaks of the material things you have, the money you have, the wealth you have. You're supposed to love God with those things. Giving to the needs of those in the body of Christ is a very specific example that the Word of God gives us on how to live in God's love. So now we move on to the fifth and final chapter of this book of 1 John. Verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. So John is making a very clear point here in verse 1. If you say you love God, you also love Jesus. There are those today that now and, and for many centuries past, right, that have made professions of loving God. They've professed that they love God. They believe in God even. They'll profess. But they don't love or they don't believe in Jesus Christ. To John, and, in, and according to the entire word of God, God and Jesus are one and the same. Verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. So we are to love God, both the Father and the Son, and we are to keep His commandments. And we've seen that more than once in this book of 1 John, haven't we? Loving God 
is tied many times in this book to keeping his commandments. It's one and the same. If you love God, you keep his commandments. Do not be deceived, right? And John has even said that, right? The one that says they love God or they know God, but they don't keep the commandments of God, they don't live in accordance with the word of God, then they are not born of God. And we can't be deceived of that. The one that is born of God is the one whom, by the Spirit of the Lord, they keep the commandments of God because the Spirit of the Lord indwells them. They've been born again of the Spirit, and the fruits of the Spirit take over in their lives. And they have temperance, right? They have self-control. They, they do the things that pleases God. That's the one that is born of God. Then verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. So John's making that point very clear. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And where it says burdensome there, at the end of verse 3, that is a word that means heavy in weight. It's like a heavy burden, right? We know that term, right? But if you truly love God... You will desire to do His will. It won't be a heavy burden to you. You will desire to keep His commandments. You will want to walk in His way. You won't, treating, you won't treat you know, keeping the commandments of God as if it's some big heavy load too much for you to bear. I love my wife, for example. I love being with her. And when she climbs in in bed with me at night, I don't say, ah, you're here again. You know, what are you doing here? You're here again, right? It's not a burden for me to love my wife and to bless her, nor is it a burden for me to keep God's word, right? So it shouldn't be a burden for us to proclaim the love of God, and it shouldn't be a burden for us to keep his commandments, the only thing that distracts us from keeping the commandments of God is the world around us. And verse 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So faith is the way that we overcome the world. We walk by faith and not by sight. And faith, right, we're told, without works is dead. And to love God is to love others. And to love God is to keep His commandments. You do something. You live differently. You reach out to others in love. You obey the Word of God. And this requires us to walk by faith in order to do that. Because the world all around us says, walk by sight. The world all around us gives us temptations and pleasures and things that we think we want. But the Bible says, no, walk by faith, trust in the Lord. This is not your home. You're just passing through. And our faith is, of course, rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. And verse 5 says, who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Of God. 
So Jesus is the focal point of our faith. Jesus is the only way that a person can overcome this world. That's not a popular message throughout the world, that Jesus is the only way. But Jesus is the only way. Faith in Jesus is the only answer. He is the Son of God. He is the only one that God has sent into the world to redeem us. Verse 6. This is He, right? Speaking of Jesus, this is He who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Now, this is one of the most perplexing Bible verses in all of the New Testament. Many scholars and biblical thinkers have come up with various meanings as to what John was talking about here when he said that Jesus came by water and blood. And you can take some time on your own uh, to look at all of these theories if you'd like. I, however, am a simpleton, right? I read the scriptures and I write on them, and I do it in a very simple manner. That's how I look at the Scriptures. God is not the author of confusion. So I don't spend a whole lot of time sitting around confused about the Scriptures. I do, however, take time to meditate on the Scriptures. But once I am content with what God wants me to know, I move on. So as I look personally at verse 6 here, I look back at verse 5, where John proclaimed that Jesus is the Son of God. And I realize that John is pointing out something. Jesus has come in the flesh. If you remember, you know, John started out this letter... As a matter of fact, go ahead and look back at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 1. He said, John said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So John is expressing in this letter the, the, the physicality, the humanness of Jesus Christ, that he came in the flesh. He is the Son of God. They saw him with their eyes. They touched him with their hands. They heard him speak with their ears. And he goes on in verse 2 here, the life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So that eternal life was with the Father and it now has been manifested to us. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus, the eternal life, was with the Father in heaven and then he became flesh on the earth. In verse 3, it says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, 
And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. You see, because of Jesus being here on the earth, because eternal life put on flesh and blood, we can now have fellowship with the Father. And in this fact, our joy is made full. Or another way to say it is we can now be joyful. And as we turn back now to chapter 5, we know and we understand that we overcome this world by believing in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came by water and blood. He was one of us. He was born of a woman just as we are born of a woman. He was baptized in water just as we are to be baptized in water. That's why he told John, you must do this, John. John didn't want to. He said, you must do this. So Jesus was baptized in water. He he had flesh. He had blood. And of course, he shed his blood for the remission of our sins. So he's the son of God. He came in the flesh. The Spirit descended upon him, right? And the Spirit bore witness that he is the Son of God. Okay? So now, as I mention this, something pops into my mind here. Okay? As I was studying this, I want you to mark this page in your Bibles. And then I want you to turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. And let's start reading in verse 36. Acts 2, 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know. Now, of course... Peter was speaking here to all Jews because the gospel at this point had not yet gone out to anyone but Jews. It didn't go out to the Gentiles yet. So Peter says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So these people, as it says here, they've been cut to the heart. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon these disciples earlier, right? And now they're doing a work. And this work is reaching out to people. They're sharing the gospel. They're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And these people are coming to understand who Jesus really was and who he really is. And they asked, what do we need to do? And Peter says, then Peter said to them in verse 38, Repent 
And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So right there, we see a pattern set forth in the Bible. It was as, you know, for as many people afar off, right? It was for them, and it was for as many people that were afar off. So Peter spoke here of what all future people, that God by His Spirit pricks their heart. This is what all future people must do. This is what everyone must do. Now these people... In verse 37, did not ask the question, what must we do to be saved? In Acts chapter 16, verse 30, a man asked Paul and Silas that question. He said, what must I do to be saved? And they answered and said unto him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But we must take heed, right, to the whole counsel of the word of God. We can't pick and choose the scriptures that we want to follow and be obedient to. We can't say, well, we'll listen to these scriptures, but we won't listen to these scriptures. Right. Have you come to believe that Jesus is the Christ? Have you come to believe in him? Have the eyes of your heart been opened as to who he really is? Well, when this happens in a person's life, there is a next step for that person to take. And they first must repent of their sin. And then after that, they must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look, if baptism was necessary for salvation, then the plain and simple fact is that the thief on the cross next to Jesus was not saved. There was no way he could have been saved if baptism was necessary for salvation. But, and I say the word but here, like with two exclamation points, but scripture is very plain that you are to be baptized. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, even though I can quote that verse, even though I can say, hey, the, um, the thief on the cross, he didn't get baptized, but he was saved. And even though I can take you back to what the apostle Paul told the, the, the Philippian jailer, right, when he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But none of us are on the cross. We don't have an excuse. We need to be baptized because it is a commandment of Scripture. Peter said it was for all of you here, all of you house of Israel, all of you Jews, and for anyone afar off into the future that will come to God through Jesus Christ. You must be baptized. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we can talk about, we can argue about, is baptism necessary for salvation? And we can go through all of that. And I can look at, I can give you these scriptures and these scriptures, you know. But the point, the, the fact is, the point is here is the scripture says to be baptized. We are to be baptized. And in many ways, the body of Christ, and I won't say the body of Christ as a whole, 
But much of the body of Christ that I have been around now for many years has taken baptism and just pushed it aside. It's, a, it's, it's just been enough for people to walk down an aisle and receive salvation or to come from way up in the stands at a crusade and come down and give their life to Jesus Christ, and that's enough, right? But baptism is a doctrine of the Scripture that is often forgotten, and people need to take that seriously, okay? And then they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there were a group of people that the Apostle Paul came upon, right? Remember this? Actually, go ahead and turn there. Um, Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Starting in verse 1. And it happened while... Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. Wow. Now, what kind of disciples were these? Well, let's read on. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So hold on a second here, because what does that tell us? It tells us that they were believers, right? They're believers. But Paul wonders here if even though they were believers, had they received the Holy Spirit? Why would he ask that question? Many people teach today that when you confess Jesus and you come to Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit is in you. Well, why would Paul ask the question here, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Because he's wondering, had the Holy Spirit come upon them? So they were disciples. They were believers. But again, what kind of believers were they? Well, we'll read on here. But Scripture teaches us, though here, that you can be a believer and not have received the Holy Spirit. So what did these people have to say for themselves? Verse 2 continues. So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is. A Holy Spirit. Hmm. So I mentioned earlier that Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him, right? But this didn't happen for these people. Because verse 3 goes on to say, And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Oh, so now we see what, what kind of disciples they were. They believed in they believed John's teaching. John and Paul's gonna Paul's gonna mention it here. But we also see here that that God in his word, he differentiates, right? Tough word to say, right? He makes a distinction between two types of baptisms. There is more than one kind. Because Paul says, then Paul said in verse 4, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. So that's the type of believers that Paul has come upon here. These were believers that had repented and believed, but that's as far 
as they went. But God's word tells us that there is more for the believer. And verse 5 here says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So John was baptizing. John was proclaiming a message that you needed to repent. Salvation was coming. And Jesus was bringing that salvation. This was John's message. So repentance is step one. But Peter and Paul both preached that there's more. There's a step two. After you repent, there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as we turn back to 1 John chapter 5, John continues on in verse 7, and he says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. So remember, John has already referred to Jesus as the Word of life in chapter 1 of this letter, right? We saw that. So these three bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, which is Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. So you could say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one, John says. And verse 8, And there are three that bear witness on earth. So he's saying, that's in heaven, and this is on earth. Who bears witness on earth? The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. They're not all one. They don't all take place in our lives at the same time, but they agree as one. It starts with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Baptism, which is of course preceded by repentance, right? Happens in a person's life. It starts with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. A person repents. They are baptized in the name of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And then these three bear witness on earth. That person's saved. That person has been born again. That person has believed in Jesus Christ, right? Paul came upon some disciples. They were believers, but they hadn't taken that step where the Holy Spirit come upon them. They hadn't completed it. There, there's, there's more than one thing to it. There's three things that agree as one. Okay? The blood of Jesus Christ, the water, and the Spirit coming upon us. So then when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens at that point? Well, what happened to the disciples in Acts chapter 2 when they were filled with the Holy Spirit? What did Jesus say would happen when you were filled with the Holy Spirit? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And you will be what? We will be witnesses. So our lives are different. We're born of the Spirit. And then we go out and we live in love. And verse 9, John says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. So men witness for Jesus today, don't they? Men and women, right? And that's a good thing. 
but God himself testified of Jesus Christ. And you know, John was there when that happened. He was on the mountain of transfiguration when God testified of his own son. And God's witness is greater. Verse 10, he who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. So today, God's testimony on the earth is the born again believer. God has given his son. The person is born again. And, and it's a testimony that God is active in the lives of people today. So there are people that say they believe in God or a God, but they do not believe in Jesus Christ. Well, these people are calling God a liar because God has only one way in which he has communicated to mankind in these last days. You can go to the book of Hebrews and read that, that God has spoken to us in these last days through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's how God has spoken to us. God has given us eternal life, and this eternal life is only found in one place, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And how do we put that faith into action? How do we express that faith to the world? We are baptized. The Spirit comes upon us and we live differently. And we live out in love. We repent. We no longer live the way we used to live. We don't look like the rest of the world around us. And again, that's another way in which the body of Christ today is woefully pathetic. They want to try and look like the rest of the world. Hey, you got that, we got that. Hey, the world has this, we got it too. Hey, you like this in the world, we'll do that in the church. Come on in. Just come on in, right? It's a circus atmosphere. It's a big tent type thing. But commitment to Christ and a person that is born again is a person that now is a witness of God, that they're not of this world anymore. And they don't live like the world anymore. Verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now some may say, wait a minute. I know many people that don't believe in Jesus, but they have life. Yes, but they do not have abundant life. And they do not have eternal life. And they do not have the life of the Spirit within them. And who is John writing this to? Verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, notice something there. You believe, but you must Continue to believe. John's saying, I'm writing this to you so that you know this. You got to keep going. Remember, John said in verse 4 that it is our faith that overcomes the world. In order to overcome, we must continue in faith. Many have professed faith in Jesus Christ. 
but have not overcome the world. I was involved in youth ministry for a seven-year period, and I've seen this. I've seen the kids that come, and they go to camps, and they do this or that, and they, they profess a belief in Jesus Christ, but they have not overcome the world. And they go right into the world, and they start doing all the things that the world does. They've never been born of the Spirit of God. They did not continue in the faith. Then John says in verse 14, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So our prayers are to be in the will of God. When we pray in accordance with his will, these prayers he hears. And then verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So what kind of prayers is John speaking of here? And what are the prayers that God hears and answers? Well, John is specifically speaking of prayers that we offer up on behalf of others in the body of Christ. Because verse 16 says, if anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that we should pray about that. Okay, so I've discussed this with you in the past. We have even seen in this letter of John's here that there is a couple kinds of sin, right? There's that sin that, that just happens because we're walking in a fallen and dirty world. And then there is this willful, premeditated, repetitious sin that someone chooses to do. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to do that because it's fun. These are those that profess faith in Jesus Christ, but have sex outside of marriage, for example. These are those that profess faith in Jesus Christ, but attend drinking parties and participate in the debauchery and the lewdness of this world around them. And this is a sin that leads to death. It leads to their spiritual death. They do not demonstrate a repentant behavior, and they do not overcome the world through faith. They don't keep going. They don't keep walking by faith and overcome the world. Instead, they turn to the world and start doing what the world does. And John says here, hey, I'm not telling you to pray about that. But do pray for your, for your brother that is affected by sin. He has fallen unwillingly into sin. Pray for him. This is God's will. God will hear this prayer and answer. And this is the brother or this is the sister that comes along and says, hey, I'm struggling with this. Man, I keep, I'm struggling with this temptation. It keeps gnawing at me. And he confesses that sin. That's the sin that John says in this letter. That's what we are to do. I mean, we are to confess this sin to one another, right? We're all weak. We can all stumble. We can all stub our toe on the things of this world. But we confess these things. But John's saying, these are the people that we pray for. But then there are people that willfully keep going back to the dirt. These are, there are people that willfully say, this is fun. I want to do this. I want to go to that. That's, a, that's, that's what leads to death. 
That's a sin that leads to death because they're not repentant. And they don't want to turn in the ways of the word because they like the ways of the world. And Jesus says men love darkness rather than light. So they don't come to the light. But then there are those, like I said, that do not confess their sin, right? And they keep going in the ways of their sin. And, and verse 17 says, all, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. So the one that has been born of God does not willfully, repetitiously Go out and sin, right? But that's the key right there, right? Sin is everywhere around us. All unrighteousness is sin, but not all sin leads to death. But the key is that when you are born of God, you make an effort not to sin. You keep yourself, as verse 18 there says. And that word keeps there in verse 18 in the original Greek is a word that means to attend to carefully, to guard, to attend to carefully, to guard. So that's what the person does, right? So you need to stay on guard when it comes to sin because sin is all around us. You may hear the term in your life, uh, guard your heart. Why? Because sin is all around us and sin creeps in and the people of the world want to bring sin to us because they're in it and misery loves company. And they, these are people that are sinning a sin that leads to death. They're spiritually dead people. But we need to walk in the light and we need to keep ourselves on guard and we need to attend carefully to our spiritual walk and who we are in the Lord. We can make mistakes but we confess these mistakes and we repent. If not, if we choose to willfully continue in sin, then death awaits us. Verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. In other words, I've already said this, sin is all around you. But there's a distinction made there. We are of God. But the whole world around us lays under the sway of the wicked one. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. So turn from the world. Turn from sin. Jesus is the one true God. Jesus is eternal life. Don't settle for less. Seek everything that God has for you. The Son of God has come into the world that we might have an understanding of who God is. He desires for us to walk in the light. He desires for us to flee from sin. He desires that we keep ourselves, that we guard ourselves from what? 
from the sway of the, the wicked one, the sway of the world. It's all around us, and it has crept into our churches today, into the body of Christ, right? Like the old children's song says, be careful, little ears, what you hear, right? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, he is looking down in love. So be careful. We're to keep, our, we're to keep ourselves. We're to guard ourselves. And don't forget, that God desires for us to be baptized in the name of Jesus and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to bear witness of him on this earth. You know, we have learned a lot in this book of 1 John, and I really encourage you as individuals to read this book through in its entirety at one sitting. I've said that about a lot of books but I believe it's very important, especially that you take like a book like 1 John and sit down and read it completely through. Let the word of God be hidden in your heart that you might not sin against him. This is how we recognize what sin is. We go to the word of God. This is how we recognize what the will of God is for our lives. We go to the word of God. The word of God washes us. The word of God cleanses us. The word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. So I teach the Word of God. I point you to the Word of God. I have you open your Bibles so that you might grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Him. And while I do it, I grow. And while I do it, it affects me. And I say, I need to grow more in this. I need more of the Lord. I want to walk in this way more and more. Let's pray.